This is MC Fireside Chats, a weekly show devoted to the outdoor hospitality industry, hosted by Brian Searle and Kara Sismadia. You'll hear from special guests that focus on topics to help your business succeed, all backed by Modern Campground, the most innovative news source in the industry. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of MC Fireside Chats. My name is Brian Searle with Insider Perks here, as always, with Kira Sismadia from the Canadian Camping and RV Council. We're excited to have our open discussion show here as we do the first week of every month, along with that ridiculous rude noise that just appeared in the background of me. I don't know what it is. It sounds like bird dying, so hopefully it's not coming across that microphone the way I'm hearing it in my ear. But super excited to have Mr. Randy Hederson with us. As always, we're missing Marquette, but Ruben has moved to the second week for our new glamping-focused episode. We're going to have the second month of that coming up next week, so super excited for that. Sandy Ellingson is joining us again, and making a guest appearance here, or re-regular appearance, is Mr. Scott Foos, who was really busy, and that's awesome for him, over the summer. So he couldn't join us, but hopefully he's back now for the fall. Why don't we just start with Scott? So what happened? Where did you go? What did you do? I decided to take three months off over over the summer and it was, it was the best time to do it. No, I'm just kidding. We, we were all hands on deck. We have, I think we started the season with, I don't know, 10 or so new properties this year and first, first time going through the summer season with those. So we were focused on, on clients, lots of travel, and I'm glad to be back though. It's, I appreciate you letting me back on after a few months off and looking forward to sharing and contributing and learning. Yeah, for sure. You'll always have a place here, Scott. Somebody's got to make up the balance between smart and randy. Uh, yeah. Smart and mean is what I meant to say, which is really, yeah. that should be it. Yeah. <laughs> Appreciate that. I think I'll just toss it to you guys, as we always do in the opening of the show, and say, is there anything that's come across your desk that you feel is super important that we need to be discussing here with the industry needs to hear? Oh, God. Everything's so boring. There's just nothing going on. It's the same old. Where's the roller coaster part of it, right? Every day something's changing. It's just, it's unbelievable. I don't watch our cats I'm on the show. I just want to point that out. Yeah. <laughs> of you got to know them well to be able to pick that up. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's just, I've said it so many times. I'll say it again. But after having been in this biz for so long, I know Scott would absolutely agree as well. You never know from one day to the next what's going to be happening or what's going to hit the dude's wire. But when you start thinking it's, maybe getting into some sort of a rhythm of some sort, you realize it's just not going to happen. Literally every day, something comes up that's because I didn't see that coming or how about that? Or wow, that's in the biggest. And again, not to be too redundant, but I just think the whole industry is going to be seeing so much amazing change in the next 24, 36 months, far more so than we've seen literally in a couple of decades. I, I really believe that. I don't think that's hyperbole. Uh, everything is in flux and change, and I think it's all for the better, by the way. Yep. Well, so you need, we need to expand on that a little bit then, right? Because that's clearly, I think that's probably a bold prediction in the eyes of many campground owners. So you're saying 24 to 36 months, that's a short timetable, obviously, for a all of history, more changes than ever, right? That's, that's a bold statement. So what are you talking about and why should we be paying attention? Yeah, I've said before, it's many years ago, it was like, wow, we went from 30 amps to 50 amps. That was a big thing. Then 
here comes this Wi-Fi thing and boy, that's really good for connectivity. And maybe a lot of folks are going to do that. So then there's a slower period and then it becomes, here comes yield management. Nobody wants to be the first mover that included me back in the day because it needed to happen, but it just wasn't quite ubiquitous yet. But now you've just got so many different confluences of everything happening. You've got a very different customer demographic with a very different spending ha habit. You've got economic times that are without precedent by any stretch of the measure, um, inflationary stuff, recession, COVID, what have you. So everything has fundamentally had to change. Consumer preferences and habits had to change. Parks had to change. What they offer had to change. Pricing strategy, programmatic pricing, experiential hospitality, which is what I'm keenly focused on these days in particular, and what that means to our industry. And so I just think is the more intelligent, I'd want to say intelligent capital, but the smart money that's been on the sidelines for a long time really pours into the industry, which we all know. So they're here and some hotel operators come into it with their programming and the revenue management stuff. You have just, everything's just gone into a funnel that focused down to a very fine point. And now when I say it's got changed so much in the next two, three years, like it has in the previous 20. I don't think there's been as much focus on all the essential key components of outdoor hospitality and what they mean and what they translate. I just, I don't have a precedent for it. And so I don't think it's that bold to say the change is profound and rapid. Well, but what I'm, what I'm saying though, and actually, before I get into that, I, there's two things, a couple of things I, I, I forgot. Number one is Ivar's on the show, which I'm just getting old and totally forgot that he was there. He's been in and out of his connections to that spot. He's over in Germany joining us from Camping Dreams Camp Go as always. Uh, Ivar, welcome to the show. Appreciate that you're here with us as always, again, and feel free to chime in and we'll certainly talk to you in a, in a little bit about some things that are happening in Europe as well. And then I forgot to mention, as I always technically do, that Fireside Accounting is our sponsor for this episode. So we're super grateful for Lindsay and her team being willing to be a sponsor of the show. So if you need, uh, again, we don't have a, a video yet, but we can play with them. We're looking forward to having one of those in the future. So we really convey all the awesome things that they can do for your business. But Fireside Accounting is a team that currently only works in, in the U.S. We're going to still try to work on them and make them a global force for the entire outdoor hospitality industry. But uh, if you're in the U.S. and you are looking for tax advice, savings, all kinds of things, uh, there's probably no limit to how those kinds of numbers and networking, working with professionally that can help your business. So make sure you check out Fireside Accounting if you are in need of those kinds of services. Back to what we were talking about with you, Randy, and we're going to talk about experiential hospitality in a second, just because I want to hear your definition and I'll probably play devil's advocate to that. But with your changes specifically, are we talking about something that is going to force people to adopt it and change, or is this going to be dependent as many things are on, am I an owner who wants to adopt it? And if not, I'll stay here. Yeah, it's a good question. And I know Scott's got a lot more information about what he's seeing from operating many properties and they're monitoring this stuff on a daily basis. And he's going to have, a, I would sure, I'm sure a lot more content than I, but I think what I'm referring to is there's a lot more attention being paid to what the guest actually wants in their experience when they come, when they travel somewhere for what they're spending. And so it, in not to pigeonhole too much, but it's been an industry where you build a park and you make it clean and nice and you market it and people show up and you treat them well. Nothing wrong with that. But I think there's a lot more attention now being focused necessarily on what does the guest want when they get there? What is the experience that we're providing? How do we make it worth the money they're spending? 
if there's fewer people traveling for a number of reasons we can talk about, but they're spending more, meaning average daily rate is holding, which is true in the industry, they have to have value in excess of what they're spending for. So I think as owner or operator, we need a lot more attention to what do my guests actually want to see than making sure I'm providing it. I think that's not only forward thinking, it's also probably economic survival because people don't just want to park and stay for the night. They want to experience something broader than just accommodation. They want to be a part of something and people and culture, local things and whatnot. That is a consumer-driven behavior that, that the owners of the businesses have to be open to, receptive to, and plan for. So let me though play devil's advocate here. Do we need, oh, yeah. and Skip, I want to hear your opinions on what you talked about in a second, especially for the time crunch and the changes and all those kinds of things. Obviously, you carry out the ring with experiential hospitality. Anyone else can too as well. Just playing devil's advocate, not saying that I believe this position, picking apart your theory. Does it need a word though? Because here's how I look at it, right? There, are diff- there have always been different types of hotels and resorts. Some mm-hmm. have been the cookie cutter same experience like you're talking about with campgrounds. They come in, they get an experience, they maybe smile at the desk and they get a good review and they leave. And then there have been the sandals and the secrets and the all-inclusive places who have focused on the service and the butlers and the waiters and the all making sure that the experience is way up here versus wherever. Mm -hmm. And so they're still called though resorts and hotels. They're not called experiential resorts. So I agree with you. That is the direction. And I think most people here would that is higher from a profit standpoint and is clearly the direction that a segment of guests in a large segment is probably trending. I think the numbers will back that up that you guys can share with us in a second, but do we need a separate track for this thing? No, because they're two halves of the same coin. And this is just my personal feeling. Outdoor hospitality is experiential hospitality if you embrace the experiential component of it. So these aren't two separate things. And so when I refer to experiential hospitality, that's been part of the hotel world for a very long time. It's not a new concept. Hotel has done that very well, and they've really made it an art form, and they're really doing a lot of innovative and interesting things right now. So I think when I'm talking about experiential hospitality, I'm talking about the existing outdoor hospitality asset class, particularly some of those best practices, programmatic pricing wrapping more experiences, selling the zip code, as we've talked about before. I think that's when experiential hospitality, as it's been a hotel, marries very well to outdoor hospitality. So one does not replace the other. It merely augments what's already here. And when you're talking about experiential, really the crux of that goes back to who is your customer. And for the park is that park has to know their customer. And so if they are a specific type of part catering to a specific customer, and then they go to change to a different customer type, that tells them what they need to do in their part to be able to reach those customers. Because yeah, it's funny, I think it, we're reinventing all this new language around this outdoor hospitality industry, because you can't just say camping now and really mean that's not an all-encompassing word anymore. I'm going camping. People used to not go camping and it wasn't their vacation. They just went camping. Now, it does camping mean I'm going to this big resort where everything is done for me? And I'm in this Highland RV park? Or does camping mean I'm camping out in the woods somewhere with my family on BLM land? Right? It's The term goes from one end to the other. And you also have to redefine the language you're using. 
But I would almost then say that it's all experiential hospitality on the low end or the high end. No. You're having an experience. No. Might not be a good one, but they're not the same on the high end and low end, though, because there are uh, just like in a hotel. There's a Motel Six, and it's a bed to sleep in on your way from A to B. There are RV parks and campgrounds that are placed to sleep in on the way from A to B. There are experiential hotels that are very guest focused, guest centric, and focus extensively on consumer data to understand how we're going to drive our product offering and our pricing. That's hotel. That's also outdoor hospitality. So you can have the, the place you park for the night. Experiential hospitality doesn't translate to all scales within outdoor hospitality. There are roadside places to park and that's what they are and they do it great. And there's a room for that. One does not replace the other. It's merely a fundamental shift in thinking to augment what's great about our industry and take it to the next level on. Yeah, yeah I don't disagree with being argumentative on purpose. So go ahead, Sandy. Like the difference is that nobody chooses the Motel 6 for the experience. Never. For the raid. But yeah. a lot of people choose boondocking in a tent on BLM land for the experience because that's what they're looking for. And it has absolutely nothing to do with the dollar. If, if no. I, my husband choose where we were camping, we would be camping in a small bob and pop that basically we could build a fire outside our rig. It didn't even have, didn't have to have a swimming pool. And that's his kind of camping. That's the experience he's looking for. But if I talk to my youngest son, boy, if he doesn't have a swimming pool, paved concrete pavers, a really nice bathhouse and activities for his kids, he's not even going to consider it. That just different experiences and has nothing to do with dollars. Completely consumer driven. What does the consumer want? The consumer that wants that small mom and pop camping experience is going to choose that park. But I think that's the beauty of this is it does give us the ability to give our campgrounds the ability to really find their niche and their thing and figure out the best suited solution for them, whether that's because of their location and their zip code, like Randy always talks about. Or if they want to reload that resort experience. And I think in mine, there's room for lots of experiences, many experiences at the table. It diversifies the experience in that in itself, where now as a camper, I can choose one weekend to go camp in the provincial park on public land. And then the following weekend or next month, and I think that's really as a, from a consumer perspective, I'm valuable for that choice. That's it. Just one last thing, and I promise to shut up. I think uh, when I'm thinking experiential hospitality, it's the mindset of the owner who proactively programs their offerings because of what the end user is going to want and experience. And that's kind of the way that that translates into a business model. Just got to be very focused on the guest. And that's really loud. Sorry, I'll mute my mic. Scott, Scott, please talk over Brian. I, I the most important I don't know thing if Brian's still market can't think about who they are. Problem I see a little bit here in Europe is just doing pretty well to think about anything and uh, have to pay there. But now they have to think about who and who they can be. And sometimes the problem that all of a sudden some changes in the market and difficult things and that uh, uh, successful like you and have to make them think about it.
We're having tech issues. Yeah. Oh, it put me front and center. I guess that means I'm supposed to be speaking now. As everybody's speaking, one of the things I hadn't thought about before is I wonder how the demographic has changed among all of the campers. Like what percentage of campers now are really looking for the resort type camping versus the like state park type camping and all of that. I wonder because that then tells you what your market is that you're trying to capture. And I would think that we probably are seeing a larger number. It might not be the biggest, but it's larger and growing of some of those COVID campers and the younger campers who are looking for that true resort experience because they're all about convenience. So having food trucks or food and beverage at your park, they'd rather spend more for it so that they don't have to leave the park than going out somewhere where they could actually do it cheaper. Yeah, these are, I've just been sitting back and listening because you guys, I think are all hitting on really great points that I agree with. And I think Sandy, you brought up a really great point earlier in that we really have to understand as operators who our guest demographic is. And one of the things that we've seen in working with clients and the majority of our new clients coming in are new development clients. They're contacting us before they even put a shovel in the ground. And the first thing we say is, do you know who your, do you know who your guest is? And yeah, our beers or some baby boomers, maybe some millennials, but there are so many subsets of the guest profile within those big buckets that we really have to drill in and understand, does this guest that's coming to this property, do they want more of a self-led experience? Do they want, do they want to be able to come on site? Yes, we have great amenities. Yes, they're clean and they're innovative, but they may not just be wanting to do those things. The thing that's more important to those guests that are looking for self-led amenities is the ability to take some activity guides that have been curated by the office team and the onset team where we've gone and we've done the hikes, we've rafted the rivers, we've aided all the restaurants and we put together half day guides. Hey, if you're looking for something to do for half a day and you're water oriented, go do this. And it could be offsite to Randy's point, kind of selling zip code. It, I think that at the end of the day, for me, the, the industry, the RV industry is unique in that if you compare it to the hotel industry, from what I know, I don't profess to be somebody that's from the hotel industry, but the hotel and the hotel motel industry back in the sixties and seventies. We're all mom and pops or roadside motels. We started to see through that period of 80s into 90s and certainly in, into the last 20, 25 years, branding of hotels and everything became very sterile. Everybody got really bored with the experience. And so the indoor hotel hospitality world, I think, is making such a big push to more of a boutique experiential side because they came from such a place in the last 20, 30 years of staleness for the most part, for the most part, you could be in a Fairfield Inn anywhere and it doesn't matter. Like it's consistent, but it's not what the younger generations of millennial and Gen Zers today that want to spend their money on experiencing the property of the local community and not just on a really nice room or on a really nice swimming pool. So our industry is unique in that we have, there certainly has been a lot in the last couple of years, but there hasn't been this 
this massive branding that's taken place for the majority of our industry. And so we are starting at a place of we're boutique and individual and different and weird just by nature of what we are. And I think it's easier to refine that than it is to develop entirely new concepts. For, like I think a hotel is happening to do Ex experiential or boutique doesn't have to fit all properties in our industry for all properties to survive. There's time and a place for each property type. But think that those that are in unique geographic areas that have unique physical offerings on site, like natural physical amenities, and those that put thoughtful, put thought into amenities like water parks and things that appeal to that guest demographic that they've identified for their property, will, will stand to do well through this push and this evolution that's going to be coming and has, has already started. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, Scott, with all said, it's, uh, I love analogies, right? It's, I can almost imagine as I'm trying to think this through in my own head, if I've got a small park in Texas and it's in Bandera, Texas, and it's on the river and it's got really cool things about it. So if I stand in that park and I look out at the river and I look at the sites and I look at the downtown and what have you like that, I've got a cool place for people to stay. So if I start thinking, wait a minute. If I'm coming to Bandera as a consumer, this is, this for me is the fundamental shift to experiential mindset is if I'm going to come to Bandera, I'm going to probably Google places to things to do in Bandera. So as a business owner, if I do that and Google things to do in Bandera and I see what comes up first, that's also going to come up first in a consumer search at home. So if I can find those businesses and align with them and say, Hey, people are Googling you and they want to stay with me. What can we do together? All of a sudden I've moved from having a place for people to stay to an experiential thinking. I'm thinking about what my guest wants to find when they get there. They want that. I think to your point, Scott, they want that curated experience, that roster of things to do, that zip code type of thing, the restaurants, the staff has eaten at. They want to be by nature at the check-in process, not merely collecting funds for the night, but being that concierge, here's great places. Where do you want to eat? Do you want, what sounds good to you? Here's a great place to do. That's what I want as a consumer. So when the business owner thinks as the consumer and says, what are they looking for when they find me? I better sell some of that to them as well. That is just a, a change of thinking, but now you're thinking more experiential than accommodation. Right. But I don't think I'm thinking and sorry, everybody's always in the background. Go ahead, Ivar, please. Sorry. It's really a change of thinking because if I see, I can only, I think it's travel and go camping, no, no, or to which country, region first, they choose the national park, and then they find the spot to stay. Most of the you're time. A little bit choppy, Ivar. We're picking up some of what you're saying, but. Sorry. Okay. I don't know if it's, it might be me. You? Yeah, I think we're losing you. I'm sorry, Ivar. We can go back to Ivar if he gets a better internet connection. I don't know if it's me or not, but sorry for my mic noise issues in the background. And then my laptop was overheating and totally freezing. So I couldn't mute myself. So I think I have everything fixed now. It was all a convoluted thing. But to your point though, Randy, about experiential hospitality, more specifically, we were just saying a couple minutes ago, like, I don't, nobody, I don't think I disagree with you and never have. It's all always been about the guest experience and the convenience that you can provide to them. Always throughout history, people will always go somewhere where it's more convenient. 
Oh, and then the question becomes though, there are obviously some owners who don't want to do that. Just like there are some hotel chains that don't want to do that. And so that's what I'm driving at the 12 to 36 months. Is that, are you saying that's the experiential hospitality piece? Are you saying that's something different? Are they tied together? Yeah, I think for me, it's basically when you start reevaluating what the customer is telling you and when the customer themselves are changing as they have, the data shows how much penetration there is with millennials, Gen X, Gen Z, they're the majority of our beers or the majority of travelers and they're spending money. So when you have that kind of a demographic shift, I mean, to Scott's point earlier, it's not just the major shift, but the minors within that, when that changes, when consumer preferences and spending habits change by necessity as a business, you have to adapt. And so part of what I'm suggesting is part of that adaptation is because the customer demographic has changed, I too have to look at the way I'm being perceived by my largest group of customers. That involves a change of the way you're doing things. And when I refer to that compressed period of time, it's because I personally, I'm not saying this is true. It's just a personal opinion. I think that the fundamentals at play have never been fluid and massive and paradigm shifting. I hate to say the word paradigm shift. It, it works here. That's going to force a lot of people to understand that it's time to rethink how I address my business. And I think that's where the experiential mindset comes into outdoor hospitality. And again, the two live together. They're not separate animals. It's just a change of focus. And so that I think is happening in, at warp speed and just a huge degree. So by necessity, when your neighbors start doing that, when other parks start doing that, when those parks start getting the articles written about them, other folks are going to say, maybe I need to adapt that. So it affects other people down the line as well. But the first movers are shifting things right now today. So the rest will inevitably follow. Well, I think it's a multi-step process though, too. Like you have to it set yourself up to be able to understand. So from a marketing standpoint, like 95% of the people that we do help and work with on services, don't look at their analytics, don't care about call tracking, don't understand the guest, even the reservation reports in their online reservation PMS system. And so setting yourself up to collect that data in advance then allows you when you, if, or when you decide to make that shift to have a historical, this is what they're looking for. This is what they're doing. This is where they're coming from. This is what they want to do. This is what they're asking my front desk staff, CRMs and customer profiles and all that kind of stuff. And this is the kind of stuff I'm going to throw Scott under the bus here just one more time, but I, I don't know of anybody who monitors this stuff closer than Scott does with his team. Scott, I don't want to speak for you, but you guys are always in touch with who your guest is and what they want and what they're, to your point earlier, you're already doing this stuff. You've been doing this stuff for years. You've been doing experiential practices within an outdoor hospitality asset class by understanding consumer spending habits, the drives, dynamics, and making sure you speak to that. Again, I don't want to speak for you, but you've been doing that forever. I appreciate that. I don't know about forever, but we, we've had a, one of our managed properties up in Oregon on the coast. It's been a really interesting test kitchen for us and was really the catalyst for us to dive further into what experiential means. We, by nature of how the whole deal came together within the partners that we were working on with that property. For the first time, we had worked with a creative ad agency that came in and did a deep dive into the guest demographic and, and the guest profile and really walked through the entire process of how we're answering the phones and how that greeting is when you come in the door. Not not just make sure you smile. We all know that you need to smile when you're on the phone and smile to see a guest, but do guests want to come in? Is that a thing anymore? Would they rather just be able to go to their site and know that they can 
order something from the store from their phone or come up to the store for happy hour later. It, so we've learned a lot in, in, in the last few years. And it's been interesting to pilot some of those things. And we, at Horizon, we manage a wide variety, almost any type of property you can think of in, in outdoor hospitality, we're managing. And the sub 100 site extended stay property in the Houston metro area that's catering to oil workers and workforce, mobile workforce, but they still want a great experience, but like they aren't really necessarily the same as a high touch, more modern camping resort that has a blend of accommodations, RV sites. It, I think going back to my point as my earlier point was, and, and Sandy's point that she first made was really understanding that guest demographic. And I think understanding the things that they want to see. And it sounds as an operator, especially as a, maybe a mom and pop operation, it might seem daunting. Like I hear these, these words and I know it's something I need to be doing, but how do I even start? What's the process of understanding what would be right for my property? And to your point, Randy, putting yourself in, in the guest shoes is a great option. I think really spend your off season. If you're heading into your off season and the more that you can do in Q4 of this year, before the end of the year with maybe sending out some surveys. If you work with a group like, like Brian's who can help automate some of those things for you and ensure that you're touching your guests at the right point after their stay, heading into the seat, heading into the fall season to see what worked and what didn't work. And maybe put in some kind of like some more bold ideas that you've been thinking about, like not having a check-in, like an in-person check-in be a mandatory part of the process and ask your guests. Is that something that you would like to see? It's that simple. And just make some of those process improvements over the course of your off season and ready yourself for the coming season. I agree. I agree with everything you said, Scott. It, I think, again, not to keep beating the same drum, but I think one of the biggest paradigm shifts is what does my guest want as opposed to I've got a clean place. Why aren't people here, or I've got a clean place and live with my rate or whatever like that. It, it isn't the, if you build it, they will come it, you have to find out who they are and speak to them and find out what they're looking for and address what their preferences are to your point. Do they want to, do they want a, a kiosk? Do they want no human interaction. Do they want a concierge experience? Yes. It's hard to quantify, but with more, the, the more effort you put into it again, to your point, Scott to understand what, who's going to be spending money with you. That's a pretty important thing. And you may find out when you do that with our own businesses, myself included, you say, I didn't really think about that part before, but by gosh, there's somebody at my front desk now saying, I'm glad you did that. Thank you for that. I had a great experience. So it just is, it's outward looking versus inward looking, but who are they and how do I, in a language they understand and make them know that they're welcome at a property they're going to be proud to be at. It's just a, it's a perspective shift that becomes a business model. I think it's really the best way I could say it. Yeah. And I don't know how long I'll be able to talk here because there's apparently some giant dying bird that keeps screeching behind me and I don't know where it's coming from, but I'll talk for as long as I can and say that I don't disagree with anything that you're saying. I think that there's been a, and this, this is obviously opinion based on what we see from our limited set of clients that we have is or that the times have been good especially over the last two years, but really extend back for, for as long as the internet has been here, you basically could build it and they would come if you did some very basic, like found on Google, whatever Facebook page type of stuff, whether that's shifting now, who knows, but I've had a lot more strategy calls with people 
than I ever had in the history of my company, probably in the last two or three months. How are we going to adapt? Let's get granular. Let's look at these analytics. Let's look at these, but, and people are interested now and it's not just big groups. And so I think that when things, and it's just my opinion, right? I think things are going to shift when that happens, then you're going to have to dig deep into some of this stuff to really figure out how I want to set myself apart. And whether that's experiential or another way, whatever it is, you're going to have to, at some point flip over to that methodology, or at least dabble in it. But I don't think there's really a big incentive for a lot of people, except for you're talking about the early movers and shakers who are always the early adopters, who are always the innovators and always the leaders to do it yet. Yeah, I think it does trickle down though, because to your point, Brian, I agree with a hundred percent with what you said there. I'm not surprised more people are asking for a deeper dive on analytics because the customer is speaking every day. The customer is speaking when they do or do not show up. The customer is speaking with what they spend while they're there. If you're not listening to that customer, then you're just not hearing what they're not, you're not hearing them say, I really want this, but I'm not getting that. So of course, doing a deep dive on the analytics and really getting it into that quite a bit, it makes sense that a lot of people more would be asking about than previously. It doesn't mean it happens overnight. It doesn't mean it translates to every single property at all. But I think as practices improve, as best practices improve about this is what we ought to do by reaching out proactively to consumers, it will spread and pervade it by necessity because that's what always happens with innovation. Something. Somebody has to move first and then all of a sudden, wow, that actually makes a lot of sense. Go ahead, Sandy. I think a lot of what we're talking about is really important as we move into 2023, because we've come through a couple of years where parks didn't really have to market. Occupancy was just something that happened because we had so many COVID campers out there camping. But now we're seeing our working windows drop. I had parks that went almost 16 months out. They were sold out and now we're seeing those exact same parts where their booking window is 90 days now. And I think it's not because people aren't going to camp, but they're watching inflation rates. They're watching the cost of gas and they're saying, I'm not going to commit that far out because the other thing that's happened is during this time, we raise our deposits most of the time and we shorten that window for getting that money back or we're now saying, Hey, we'll put it on an account. And so. They're being a little more cautious with booking too far out. So that booking window has dropped. And now all of a sudden parks who were booked six months out are freaking out a little bit and going, well, I don't have reservations. I've not booked for next spring. What do I need to do? And so that's an education process. One, and all these things we're talking about, knowing your customer, knowing how to reach out to them, figuring out what that experience is that they need. And then finally, I'm still like super surprised that we have parks that are not online and they are not, they don't book online. You have to pick up the phone and call. And I think if they knew how much money they're losing because of that, they would be shocked. I think their occupancy would be up. It would be, because there's so many great parks, but they just have got to get over that. I'm not going to do the booking online. People are going to call me. That's a dying breed, right? It all goes hand in hand, though. Everything that we're talking about is one giant circle. Well, if you look at what Randy was saying, I want to understand what people are buying in my store or not buying, or even the data that we're talking about, whether they come in to check out or they don't check out. All of that takes time. 
from an owner operator standpoint. And that's time that a lot of, let's be honest, a lot of these husband and wife teams or four or five people teams don't have time to do. And if, if they, maybe they do, they need to hire, they're not going to hire a full-time marketing person at a three person or an analytics person or a data person or whatever. So they need to understand how to collect that data in a more efficient way and then analyze it in a more efficient way. But then I would say that to your point too, this historical trend of the two years being full, I'm seeing a lot of people calling me asking for that advice, as I said, but it's mostly people who've only been open two or three years. I think that we've, I think that we've built it and you would come for 10, 12, 14, 16 years. And those yeah. people who are on campgrounds for that long still haven't, they're not seeing a difference because they're up over 2019 still. And it's interesting. This may sound a little bit convoluted and weird, but I, I'm pretty well used to saying those kind of things. But if someone's just been the last two or three years, and again, I'll defer to Scott on this, but in 20, you had the mass exodus from COVID. In 21, you had the unprecedented revival and everybody was camping again and upward rates and upward occupancy and everything. And then in 22, it's kind of the occupancy dip, but the rate hill. And so if you've been in this like a couple of years, your fir first thing you're saying is, why exactly did I do this again? <laughs> the second thing you're thinking is it's adapt or suffer. So now I better get really serious about understanding who's doing what and where, which again, I think drives some of this different thinking about the mindset because it's been anything but a level playing field, the great void by the great ride back up. And now what's to, to your point, Sandy. What does 2023 look like? I better really start thinking that through now. <laughs> yeah, it's it, when you guys figure out what 2023 is going to look like, will you let us know? Because we're still we're still trying to figure it out over here. I think it, I don't know what it's going to look like. There are people that are going to spend through spring, and then they're going to and then campgrounds are going to be in a different landscape. People will still camp. There's no question about that. Yeah, yeah. it's going to be a different land because people are still wasting their money from the stimulus for now. Yeah, I read a report from Destination Analyst that came out earlier today that talked about how two-thirds of American leisure travelers are planning to take at least a one-night trip in the next three months. So there's still that demand. There's still, there's, we've seen with our managed portfolio anyways, that July was great. It picked up Q2 was hit or miss, but July picked up. And then September has really a year over year. Our occupancy is matching last year at most of our destination focused properties. And I think that we're expected to see that continue into October, November, the booking windows to Sandy's point have compressed so much. We're getting higher quality reservations because we've done the same thing. We've required upfront payment for the last couple of years, but we've tightened the deposit or the cancellation windows. And so the number of reservations that are coming through, we can count on them more. Our cancellation rate is way down from where it was last year as well. So I, I think all that to say, we're, we're certainly optimistic about 2023, but if you're just coming into the industry and you don't have that operating history or knowledge or deeper analytics and data for a property that you might've acquired that was open pre 2020, it's certainly probably a little unnerving. And so I think focusing the minimum that you should be focusing on, in my opinion, is really managing your expenses right now and putting in process improvements to the extent that you could be more efficient with labor and works your scheduled hours and understanding what level of guest services and activity spend really makes a lot of sense with what you did this year versus maybe what you can cut back on or spend differently and more effectively for next year, focus on the part that you can control a little bit more at this point and prepare to have a summer like you had this year in terms of occupancy. Again, now that needs to be qualified by saying, Scott, you do a lot of things right. 
on a holistic level with all your team from a marketing standpoint and everything else that not everybody is able to or willing to or can do or maybe even understands how to do. And so I think there's, that needs to be said first, right? Not everybody has a, how many people is it now? 25, 30, <laughs> a lot somewhere, in there. Uh, but not everybody has that at their disposal. And so there are things that you need. And we talk a lot about this team and Randy and I've gone back and forth about this before. Many times your team is not just your in-house team, but you need to understand that there's a direction that you can take this and how do I take it? How do I adapt? How do I change? How do I prepare myself? And I think there's this, in my mind, a stunning lack of educational resources in this industry that are being focused and qualifying that by saying there are some good education, but qualifying that by saying that are adapting to the current things that need to be understood instead versus just the always, how do I take good photos and how do I do dynamic pricing and how do I set up Wi-Fi and why do I need it? And nobody's really adapting. And I think there's a void there that would be awesome if we could fill to, to say like on this show, here's where we're going to, here's where we think you should go. We think you should do this and do that and do this, but then here's a, here's how to do it. Cause I think there's that. Brian, yeah. What's really interesting about that, Brian, I, I completely agree. What's interesting is you could almost go in a time machine and have that same conversation in 1980, 1990, 2000, 2010, because there's always the few that are really doing something different and a lot either can't or more to innovate with. That's true of every cycle that's ever been in any business, not everybody can do what the folks with the deeper pockets have the ability to do and hire a bunch of people to do it and all that. So that's the same, but to your point, and I think it's a really incredibly good point. If this is, I'm not saying it is, but if this is where the industry is moving towards this sort of more experiential kind of thinking, then it is incumbent upon some education processes to try to help level the playing field by at least making the information known or the best practices known. I think that's what I heard you saying, basically educational outlets to help more people try to understand new thinking. Cause I think it's different now. Like you're right about the cycles, but I think technology has changed the game. I don't think you yes. need to hire 20 people anymore. No offense, Scott, you may, you might need it with all your properties, but I don't think you need to hire 20 people anymore to catch up with the big boys. I think that technology has leveled that playing field in a way where your PMS is saving you time. We're live chat can save you phone calls and staff We're marketing and automation and tools and reports and emails can save you all kinds of things. And so that's leveled the playing field. So I think the bigger question now, and there will always be a gap to there to be clear, like it'll never be even, but I think the bigger question now is, am I as an operator willing to learn? willing to adapt if the educational resource was available. I don't I, think there's a choice. Unfortunate, but maybe it should be. I don't know. Randy. The, the choice is either maintain what you've been doing or at least drip feed yourself enough to start chipping away and learning stuff because you're not going to stop the momentum in place. There's nothing you can do about that. The world is moving that way. And so it, it really is either stay where I am and or get over the fear of new thinking, new technology and what have you like that and start gradually phasing it in. It doesn't mean you have to be an IT expert overnight, but it does mean you got to pay attention to technology because there again, Brian, to your point, I completely agree. Tech is a huge part of where this is going, has been going and needs to go. Well, the technology that a park needs today is either, it used to be everybody had to pay for a property management software and you paid per month or per unit or per location. Now there's a lot of the softwares that are out there that are amazing software and they're absolutely free 
the guest is the one that's paying for that software because there's a small booking fee for, on the, for online reservations. So the, it's costing the park nothing. So financially, there's no excuse not to. And then a lot of them have a lot of this education built in because they're doing the analysis through their reports and showing you what you need to see. Hey, look at the little line. It's going up. That's good. It's going bad or it's red. That's bad. So I just, of course, I'm a technology girl. I'm a geek at heart, but it re I really struggle with the lack of adoption of technology in such a significant part of our industry. Well, it's also two-step though, right? Because you're right. There are a lot of things that are free, but free doesn't always mean best or best for me. And so you're right. There's a lot of, like you can hook up an online reservation system and it's free and you're passing along the cost to your campers. But are you also understanding that you can set up dynamic pricing within there and set up yield management and set up all the things, right? And lock fees and make more money through that. And how does it work? And so there's free and then there's taking advantage of tools that take your time, but may still have no cost associated with it. Agreed. Yeah. And I think we use, we use. Uh, currently three different PMSs and one is paid for directly by, by the guest, if you will, to Sandy's kind of example. And the other two, we monetize the functionality of the systems to ensure that the cost of the system is totally covered through, through booking fees and things that, that have become customary and site lock fees and that sort of thing. So to the point, to your point, don't be worried about the spend. Don't go for the free option just because it's free. Go for the best option that's going to provide the most automation for your business and figure out how to drive revenue from it to cover the cost. I think that that to us is something that I think to everybody's point here, that tech is still a long ways out, but there's been so much cool advancement in the last couple of years that I think our industry is starting, starting to take advantage of more. You, I mean, you assume you mean tech's a long way out from industry adoption. Is that what you mean? Or? I, yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah, yeah, because it's exactly. there. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. I just wanted to, but yeah, I mean, yeah. it's a tough, Thing. And I think part of the lack of adoption and willingness, like it's always a human behavior, right? Everybody is resistant to change in some yeah. form or fashion. I might be the geek who adopts technology like that, but everything like four or five other or 12 things and no, don't touch me. I like the way it is. And so we all have that. But I think there's also less of a push to change when times are good and you have no reason to adapt either. And so I think that, again, I'm not saying the camping industry is in danger in 2023, but I think it's going to shift. And if you're not ready for that shift to target experiential or not experiential or older people or younger people or local people versus national people or on and on and on, then you might suffer. Bingo, Brian. Bingo. It, that, that, you that's know, I think, yeah, yeah. Because if you look at who entered the industry over the last couple of years from different, from different track travel segments that are first time campers, those COVID campers, they probably are a quite a bit underwhelmed with the status and the opportunities within the industry to, to stay at. And it, they're like, oh, we can be outside and we can enjoy nature and get close, close to our national parks, wherever our destinations are. But they're used to a certain level that's been in, in the, a certain level of service and experience that's been in that indoor industries. They're to keep those campers, to help keep that demographic. I think you, you have to innovate for 2023. And I think we saw that this year. I think people are, they're testing the waters going back into their flights and their traditional resort stays, but what they do next year will be really telling, I think, for our industry. Yeah. And to be clear, we talk a lot about innovation, about innovating the experience, but it's also innovating your thinking and how you approach things. It starts with thinking. Yeah. I think it all starts with thinking. 
And you, Scott, you just said something that kind of touched on me as well, because I've been really studying boutique motel, boutique brands, and the various different accommodations within hotel because of the thinking that I think is coming our way into outdoor hospitality, again, to augment, not replace. And I can imagine a scenario where somebody just stated a really cool little boutique motel and on their app, they said, yeah, I'd like an extra housekeeping turn. And yeah, I would like to go ahead and order this. And they're used to doing the app thing. Then they go to a really cool little boutique campground and they're saying, where's my app? I have to go up to the front desk and ask them for this. So the technology is going to, because hotel is investing in outdoor hospitality, hotel thinking is going to be coming as well. And that's my only cautionary tale. It's coming. It's already happening now. So when hoteliers start getting into outdoor hospitality and bringing that tech and those best practices, you will be seeing those apps where you can say extra housekeeping turn. I'd like to stay an extra two hours. And if it isn't here now, it's coming here pretty soon. Again, guest expectation for what they want to say. And I think that's my overall point too, is that this is also moving way faster than it has in the last 40, 50 years. And you've said that, but it's going to drag people along. In the past, you had these incremental technology changes. You look at the evolution from CD or records to tapes to whatever, CDs and whatever. I don't even remember. I didn't. <laughs> the gap between every one of those evolutions got shorter and shorter and shorter. And now... This technology is going to drag you along, kicking or screaming, because the guest expectation is going to evolve so fast that it's yes. going to almost not be an option for a lot of people who it was an option for in the past. And that's where I come back to that two or three years. It's going to be a tsunami. I really believe that. For all the factors we've all just been talking about today, it won't well, even though I'm a tech girl, I think Scott Bayer, who's one of the listeners, had a comment earlier about customer loyalty. And I think one of the comments he's making is such a timeless comment in that it, because it goes back to people for relationships with people, not with entities. And one of the things I love about camping over staying in a hotel is I can't tell you the name of a single manager or assistant manager at any hotel I've stayed at in my entire life. But I can name tons of people that work at campgrounds where I've stayed and I've met them and I've made friends and that is just timeless. And so even if you don't get technology and you don't understand all the other things we're talking about, the one thing you can do is make sure you're out and engaging with your customer and that's going to mean the world to whether they return and come back. It's also going to help you understand them. So when you're talking about knowing the names of people and I agree with you, I don't know the name of anybody at a hotel, maybe. That I can think of. If I had to sit here for an hour, perhaps somebody who treated me and went out of their way to do something, I could probably think of something. But yeah, it's the same way. If you are, if you're out there talking to your guests and engaging with your guests and learning what they have to do, then you're going to understand their insights and where they're coming from and how to serve them better and all those kinds of things. I had a larger point. I forgot. I had a little brain fart. So maybe it'll come back to me. <laughs> I think one thing that's going to be to that point that I think it's going to shift is I don't disagree with you guys. We have to make sure that in-person interaction guests and guest engagement is at a quality level. I think though, that as these younger generations come in, I can tell you, I, when I go and stay somewhere, I don't want to have to talk to someone unless I need something. It's not, it's a totally different shift. And so we have to change our thinking. We are telling a story behind the the entity, behind the brand, behind your property. What do you stand for? What, what are you doing in your community? How can you drive goodwill through your brand? And you will, I think the generations that are coming into the space are almost going to value that 
more. Yes, they will always want a pleasant interaction, but I think that they are going to want to support these good brands that do good things. And you can do that as a one-off brand. You don't have to be part of a bigger, uh, For a sure. bigger portfolio. And that's why you can personalize the tech too. Like they want to have a good interaction, but not necessarily with a human being. They just want to have a good interaction. But you have to foster all. I see a world where I'm on my phone and I say, yeah, I'm, I'm going to stay another couple hours. So I'm doing good here. I'm going to hit my app and then go interact with the staff, the guests, whatever like that. Hang out and tell stories and have that human contact because I mean, to everybody's point where it's a, let's not forget hospitality it's at the core, whether it's experiential hospitality, outdoor hospitality, it's hospitality centric. So providing that environment that speaks to what their lifestyles are about. And to Scott's point, the engagement, the higher purpose, higher calling, you can have the best of all worlds. You can extend your checkout on your app, then go back to great community engagement with staff and have an amazing experience. And I'm like everybody else. I don't remember the names of the people where I've stayed, but I remember how I felt about where I stayed. That's what I, that's what I me. Yeah. And nobody's ever suggesting how to feel. Nobody's ever suggesting getting rid of humans. I'm sorry, Andy. I didn't mean to cut you off. I was just like, oh, you're fine. I was just going to say, nobody has, nobody's ever suggesting getting rid of humans, but because look at what we're having now with the staffing shortage. If you just implement technology and do it in a personal way, you can have the best of both worlds still. You can solve your staffing problems and still have, you can still be there as the husband and wife team or the five person team or whatever, and still then take that bandwidth that was being used in other places and redirect it to better customer service or more understanding or better reports or whatever you need to do. So we're fixing the zero pipe in two weeks instead of four weeks or whatever it is. I think that's the beauty of what we do, right? If you own an apartment building, you have a, a, a bunch of squares that you need to fill up. And that's, that doesn't say you, you can't be creative, but it's linear. But with here, we're talking about, I need some great technology and better human interaction. And I need to sell my zip code. And I need to be experiential and I need to be outdoor hospitality, but you can do all those things because you've got a canvas. You can move the things around and pivot and take the best of all worlds. I think that's, for me, that's the main takeaway. It doesn't have to be all tech or all people. It's a mixture of all. Yeah. And Jason's commenting on LinkedIn when standards slip family standards. Yeah. But standards are, standards can be enhanced too. So I think there's a misnomer that you start here. And I think I hear that from a lot of businesses. Here's my level of service, but then I slip over time. Maybe I get new managers or I focus elsewhere. Or I do what, but there's also an up. You can keep going up and up and up. And I think like, I try to have that philosophy at my company and sometimes I fail at it terribly, but I always want to get better. And sometimes I get better by two steps and backward three steps and better. By four, and then it just goes up and down. But the goal is always the same to go up. Sometimes I fail and suck at it, but I try. Well, don't we all? You're a good company. <laughs> sure are. And then I remember my point from earlier about understanding your guests, right? It's the, and we got to wrap up the show because we're running up a few minutes late. And Peggy says on LinkedIn, the staff must be friendly and professional, even in RV parks and campgrounds. Absolutely, Peggy. hundred percent agree with you. But my larger point is just a lot of these people aren't understanding the basic necessity or basic things about their guests, right? You're, you're, we're talking about deep dives into analytics and customer profiles. But they haven't even asked the basic questions. And one of the best ones I give my clients is I told Randy this. I don't know if I've told Scott this or Sandy this on the phone, but it's the best analogy that I've ever seen is why are you spending all this money on social posting and creating content? People are hiring people who work 40 to $60,000 a year and all they do is post on social media. But understand and think about and put yourself in your guest shoes, just like the names. How many times, what's the last hotel you stayed at, Scott, Sandy, or Randy, where you went home from vacation? And you're like, man, I really wish, I wonder what that Marriott is up to today. Let me go check out their Facebook page. No, it doesn't happen. So you should be posting on social media, 
but stop looking at it like it was six, seven, eight years ago. Right. It's right. totally use it now. Use it as a tool. I just, yeah, I just checked out at Salient. So I'll throw in my final point here. I just checked out this morning. There's a boutique motel in Salida, Colorado called Amigo Motor Lodge. And I absolutely checked out and went to go follow on social media. And they're counting on that. They're not spending in other traditional marketing ways, but there's ways to do it. But to your point, Brian, don't post just to post. Have a purpose. Oh, yes. But also like there, I don't think there's a need anymore to spend unless you're creating high level content. And I know we're over. So if anybody needs to jump over that, jump up, that's fine. But creating the type of content where you go out and you're staging shots and focusing on storytelling. And this person that you have on your team is spending 30 to 40 hours a week creating. It's a waste of time unless you're doing it really well. Like we had this conversation with a client about TikTok. Do I need a TikTok account? Right. Well, yes, you need an account. Because 40% of young adults are using Instagram and TikTok to search for local businesses now. So you 100% need an account. And that's a Google stat. It's really shocked me when I saw it. But Google came out and said that. They're feeling threatened. But what you don't need is to create content regularly for TikTok because nobody wants to see what you're talking about. They don't want to be sold a campground. Now, if you have an awesome manager who's super personal and can dance around and do all kinds of fun things and do that three to five times a week, absolutely post on TikTok. But 99% of people don't have that. So what you need to be able to do is just discoverable. Yeah, agreed. You've got to, you're, you're spending dollars to direct people often to, to these social profiles and you've got to have some sort of presence there. But the ideal in our world anyways, is having more guest driven content around, around your handle so that it's more authentic. Guests can put themselves in their shoes with how they see other guests experiencing your property, not necessarily the canned posts for sure. Totally. Agree. Those posts need to be told on your website first. Sure. Yeah. Then yeah. disseminated to social because social is not what it used to be. And it's switching totally to content discovery. Yeah. And so your branding of your property and your information needs to be on social, but it needs to be done from a, this is my website first, because this is for whatever your first perspective is, but you don't need to rent an audience as I think you're saying too. And I see that with restaurants. It frustrates the heck out of me when I'm trying to find a menu for a restaurant and I'm traveling and their website on Google is their Facebook page. What? <laughs> okay. I think that's all we've got. Unless you gentlemen have anything else to add or Sandy, really appreciate you guys all being here today. Sorry, we had some technical difficulties with Ivor and I think Kara was having the same issues. And obviously I had the, whatever was happening in the background with me. So we'll move on, have a good show next week. Super appreciative of the great, absolute discussion. And we're going to have to focus on and figure out ways to figure out this whole education thing. So I think the industry definitely needs it. And we've got some smart people here on this show and who we all talk to on a regular basis too. And it seems to be a problem that we can probably help the industry solve now or in the future so really appreciate you guys watching another episode of mc fireside chats i'm brian sir with insider perks as always thanks again scott randy sandy randy and sandy actually rhyme i just realized that for the first time we should start introducing you guys like that next week is our glamping focused show ruben and i will be having some regular recurring guests and some people on to talk about the glamping show and other things like that so join us then and until then take care guys see you later bye thanks all Thanks for watching this episode of MC Fireside Chats, hosted by Brian Searle and Kara Sismadia. Have a suggestion for a future show or want to see your campground or company as part of an episode? Email us at hello at moderncampground.com. Join us next week for another episode. And don't miss the latest outdoor hospitality news and commentary from around the world at moderncampground.com.